Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in 76ers podcast. I'm Justin Grasso. And I'm Kevin McCormick. And this is a podcast dedicated to covering the Philadelphia 76ers on the Believe Podcast Network. Kev, there was a big game two on, what was that, Tuesday night now? Yeah, I'm losing track of the days here with the playoffs. <laughs> uh, big game two, Sixers came in. They were down 0-1 after a shocking loss on Sunday. And we predicted that they were going to come in and have a statement win. And that was a strange game. Like, it was, it was up and down. And if you just look at the final score, it does look like a statement win. What did you kind of see out of the Sixers uh, throughout that game? For the most part, I think it was a rather convincing. I don't know if I could say statement win with how some of it played out. Like you said, it, it got a little dicey in the second half where Atlanta kind of made a nice push. But for the most part, when the starters were on the floor, it was really all Sixers. I mean, Doc Rivers talked a lot about how in game one that Atlanta punched them in the mouth and they didn't really punch back. I think game two was their, you know, their uppercut saying, you know what, you know, let's let's get things back in order. We are the one seed. We are one of the top teams at home in the league. Joella B continues to be phenomenal. So, I mean, all around, I thought it was a rather good game from the Sixers in game two. Yeah, it definitely went as really the Hawks expected, uh, kind of tuning into all of their uh, practice, post-practice media availabilities. They all said – they're going to be much more aggressive coming into that game. I think everybody kind of knew that the Sixers weren't themselves in game one when it started. This is a team that plays very aggressively defensively. They play physical and, you know, they let Atlanta do whatever they wanted in game one. Game two, that wasn't the case. Uh, Tobias Harris came out hot in game two, which at a point – you know, you want to keep rolling with the hot hand. I think he kind of started trying to do too much at a point, and that kind of affected him, you know, later on in the game. But Joel Embiid was somebody who didn't play as dominant as many probably believed in the first half, and then it really came out in the second half. And as expected, it's a result of Joel Embiid feeling slighted because before the game – I think, what was it, like two hours before the game? Before the game, it was announced that Denver Nuggets center Nikola Jokic is the league's MVP, not Joel Embiid. I think to some it probably wasn't surprising. It wasn't to me. Um, But what also wasn't surprising was that Joel Embiid came out and probably had his best game of the playoffs. What do you think? I think there was definitely some uh, opinion making there. I think Joel Embiid definitely wanted to come out and say that they made the wrong decision, but I- I'm with you. I pretty much once Joel missed all those games, you could pretty much read the tea leaves of the way the narrative was going of, you know, Jokic winning the MVP and no discredit to him. I mean, he had an incredible season. Denver had a good season in their own right. I think once they went on that strong run without Jamal Murray, it kind of cemented Jokic winning the MVP, but I still have to say, Joel Embiid was the most dominant player in the NBA this season. He was the most unguardable when on the floor. There wasn't any team that could stop him. He pretty much had his way wherever he wanted, and he did the same thing in game two. So hopefully, you know, he's still in that MVP conversation in years to come, and we do get to see that that season where Embiid puts it together and gets to hoist that trophy. Yeah, it's unfortunate that it, it really comes down to his availability. And I know everyone kind of 
freaks out about the, you know, oh, Jokic won the attendance award. Like, you can't take anything away from the guy. Like, he he played an incredible season. And like you mentioned, like, one of their top players went down and Denver didn't go down. You know what I mean? And I know that early on in the year when Embiid was out, there was the argument that the Sixers looked horrible without him. But then there was also a point where when he went on that, what was it, 10 games he missed because of that knee injury, they didn't look terrible. I actually, you know, stayed alive and, and played pretty well. So at the end of the day, I mean, it it comes down to Jokic stayed healthy, but he was also very dominant this year. I think he deserved the award. I think if, if Embiid stays healthy, then he gets the award. And just like you said, he was extremely dominant all season long. And I don't think him losing MVP, you know, takes away from that. I think everybody understands what Joel Embiid brings to the table when he's on the floor. And he's shown that throughout the playoffs. I was just, I was looking through his numbers in the first round. Aside from that game that obviously the game that he missed and then the game that he only played 11 minutes in, I mean, he averaged 30 points in the first round and then he's averaging what, like 39, 40 right now. So it's, it's really incredible what he brings to the table for the Sixers. And he's a main reason why they won game two, but there's another guy you wrote about it, an unlikely hero in game two. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it when he took the floor and I couldn't believe it. What he did is shake Milton back. I hope so. I mean, huge credit to him. I, I agree. Pretty much when Shake Milton came up off the bench, everyone in the media was kind of looking at each other like, is Doc really doing this? Like, is this what he's going to after this series that Shake Milton had? And I was definitely in the camp of after that series against Washington, he definitely was on the outside looking in of the rotation. But credit to Doc Rivers, he had nothing but faith in Shake Milton. He even said that uh, he said it after game five that Shake Milton was going to win games for this team down the road. And it took, what, five, six days for that to manifest. Shake Milton comes in, instantly hits that step back three, and everyone's like, all right. Then he hits that almost the logo uh, as time expires, and it's like, all right, keep going, Shake Milton. Next thing you know, he's leading the charge to, you know, seal the game. So hopefully he's back. He definitely looked good. He looked confident that that swagger that we know from Shake Milton was there. So great to see. Yeah, Doc Rivers can sometimes be loyal to a fault, and he still has – you know, his issues with that, but I'll give him credit. You got to give him credit. He doesn't give up on his players beginning of the season. I think the whole thing was uh, Matisse Thibault wasn't getting any minutes. And then he kept saying Matisse is a part of this rotation. Just be patient. And I personally didn't believe him. I thought that he thought uh, Matisse's offensive limitations couldn't crack his rotation, but he stuck to his word. He put Matisse in there. Matisse obviously had a great season defensively. And then he said it too about Tyrese Maxey. It looked like Tyrese Maxey wasn't going to play in the playoffs. Next thing you know, Tyrese Maxey was very important down the stretch in that first round. And then, you know, same thing with Shake Milton here. He said, I'm not giving up on Shake Milton. He's going to, you know, still be a part of this rotation in the playoffs. Uh, game one, he only put him in for 38 seconds. Still don't understand that. Like, if you're going to play him, play him. They'll play him for 38 seconds when, you know, you weren't even getting killed and it wasn't the end of the game where you just throw somebody in there. But he played Shake Milton. Shake Milton checked in, I believe, 14 minutes. 14 minutes, and he had 14 points. So, 
I mean, he he saved the Sixers there in that second half when, you know, they kind of stalled at a point and Shea comes out and he's just hitting threes and and moving the ball around. And it I mean, it was great to see. Uh, unfortunately, he didn't want to talk about it after the game, <laughs> but um, it'll be interesting to see to see what they do moving forward. And uh, I mean, so we, we talked about it, the all bench lineup. And Doc kind of went away from it, but at the same time, he's still playing too many players. And, you know, Tyrese got some minutes. He didn't play a lot. Uh, Ferk was getting some minutes here and there. Obviously, Shake played too. So who do you think needs to be on the out of that rotation now moving forward? Because clearly it's still an issue, although it's not all bench lineup. The, the rotation needs to subtract some people. So who do you think is out on the rotation now? If I had to say, I, I'll sadly say Tyrese Maxey. I think it's no discredit to him, but, you know, rookie guard, things are starting to get serious now. I think it's at the point where he's given what he can and, you know, applaud him for it, but it's time to really rely on the vets. And then Furkan Korkmaz, I think, has to be the other just because if, Shake Millen can continue to build off what he did in game two. I mean, there's your offensive spark plug from that second unit. So I think if Shake Milton can keep playing like Shake Milton, then you can just cut the rotation to nine. You can go to five starters, Dwight, George Hill, Matisse Seibel, Shake Milton. Like that is a more than capable rotation. You have the offense with, with Milton and Hill, the defense with Howard and Thibel, and just, you know, mix and match in between with the starters. Yeah, this is like the longest rotation tryout ever. <laughs> Second round of the playoffs and Doc's still playing 11 guys. I don't get it. Yeah, we said it in the first round that we we believed it was a, it was a tryout, which was okay. Like, you're playing the Wizards. They knew they were going to win. Uh, we thought it was going to be a sweep. They won in five. But that felt like a tryout. And it still feels like a tryout. And I think one will probably get cut out. And I think you're correct. I think it's Tyrese Maxey. I think at this point, it's this guy's a rookie and, you know, the stage is getting bigger. Not that I think that it's too big for Tyrese Maxey, but his first or his last two games weren't anything to be, you know, going crazy about. So I think that now I think FERC somehow stays in the rotation for at least game three. I don't know why I'm not really thrilled with what Furkan has has done really in the playoffs as a whole, except for, you know, when he brought him alive in game four a little bit, but even then they lost the game. So I think that Doc Rivers has this undying loyalty to Furkan Korkmaz. I don't know how long it will last, but I think that we'll still see some Furk in the next game. Obviously you have to play Shake Milton, right? I think so. Yeah. At this point. Yeah, I mean, and he, he's he been kind of slumping even before the playoffs. Like, he looked bad in round one. But even before that, towards the final stretch of the regular season, he wasn't looking good. But at the same time, you know, this guy was one of your key players off the bench throughout the year. I don't think you just kind of give up on somebody like that. I don't think Doc will. But just from, you know, a watching standpoint, I think that Shake has proven this year that he's valuable coming off the bench when he's on. And if he's going to play like he did in game two, then he deserves minutes on the floor. 
Exactly. I mean, listen, they needed a spark, and he's arguably, the when it comes to creating offense, he, he might be the best at it. If Shake Milton doesn't check into that game, that is – we're sitting here, just this whole pod is yelling about the bench unit. Shake Milton didn't check in until about nine minutes into the third quarter and scored the Sixers' first bench points. That's that actually com- crazy. That's completely – unacceptable for the playoffs and I think it's a huge testament of why Doc Rivers shouldn't go that deep in the rotation the unit just continues to struggle to score even with staggering the starters we saw a little bit more of Tobias Harris with that second unit it still didn't really help I mean they still struggle to score George Hills looked off at times although he's still giving all he's he's still giving it all the defensive end he's still making the nice veteran IQ plays but in the Washington series, it really looked like he was coming into his own as like a spot up guy and the, and the three point shot was there. And it looked like, you know, the George Hill move was about to start showing its value, but that hasn't really been there in round two. Hopefully you can get back to it. But yeah, with the way that Shake played in game two and that confidence and that swagger he was showing, I mean, listen, the dude's been working nonstop. We saw him after game five against Washington, getting shots up post game. Doc Rivers said the night before game two, he was still in the gym at 10 o'clock at night, getting shots up and playing one-on-one. I mean, he wants to be in this rotation. He wants to be a part. This is a guy that's scratched and clawed for everything. And I mean, I think when it comes to the playoffs, you just need guys who have that dog mentality and, and shake Milton has it. For sure. And, and I like that you brought up George Hill because that's someone who, I mean, really you traded him for this moment. Like this is when George Hill is supposed to be, you know, coming off that bench and being that spark off the bench for your team. I mean, like you said, he's making veteran plays. Like I get that, but this is, that's not what they traded him just for. Like they need him to be that point guard coming off the bench and, and really quarterbacking this offense. And he really hasn't done that in these first two games. Now that's not me saying, it's time to move away from George Hill. Definitely not saying that. I'm just saying, I think that in these next two games on the road, he needs to come alive. He needs to be someone that, you know, really helps them coming off the bench. Dwight Howard, another one who he looked better in game two, but he's just not, he hasn't been that champion veteran coming off the bench for the Sixers. This bench unit is surprisingly bad in the second round of the playoffs. I actually thought that, you know, seeing how the Sixers looked, how their bench looked in previous playoff runs coming in this year. I mean, it, it's something that you were extremely confident in. Now it's kind of like, it's questionable. Like, man, how, how far can this team take it with this bench unit? Because if you beat Atlanta, you got Brooklyn. And let's let's not forget what Brooklyn did to the 76ers in the beginning of the year when James Harden was still in Houston and Kyrie Irving disappeared for a couple of weeks and Kevin Durant was dealing with, I don't even know if it was his hamstring or his Achilles at that time, but Brooklyn's reserves destroyed the Sixers and they weren't shorthanded. There was Joel Embiid, there was Tobias Harris, there was Ben Simmons. So this bench unit has to get it together. Yeah, it's funny when the season started, everyone kind of talked about like how many playable guys the Sixers have and, you know, how deep of a rotation they could go and how beneficial that could be in the playoffs. And now here we are, we're back to square one of, I mean, I think I was talking to Tom Moore about it before the game and I was just like, Ben and Tobias just like need to go the distance. They need to play 40 to 42 minutes. I mean, if you go back to game one, Joel and B played the most minutes out of the Sixers big three. 
That should never happen. No disrespect not, to Joel Embiid. Not even now because yeah. like, the guy's injured. Yeah, the guy's playing on a torn meniscus and he's playing the most out of your big three. When Ben Simmons is like this physical specimen who could easily pay, play 43, 44 minutes. Same with Tobias Harris. He'll play as many minutes as you need him to. Like, you really need to be riding these guys and letting them play those big minutes, especially because Doc said – that he was pretty much throwing minutes out the window that guys were going to go as long as they could go. And now you have Joel Embiid playing the most minutes out of your big three. It just, it doesn't make sense. Hopefully those minutes start to increase. Maybe Doc's trying to, you know, save their energy for a later run, because if you play in Brooklyn, they're going to need to play those extended minutes, but it it's the rotations have been very questionable in these, in the playoffs so far. Yeah. I mean, save, saving minutes in the second round, like, they prepare for the playoffs. Like there's no, you yeah. can't save minutes for guys in the second round. Like that's just not a thing. First round. I get it. Like you're the first seed, you're playing the eighth seed. Washington just barely cracked the playoffs, but second round, like Atlanta as inexperienced as they are. And if you think you're that much of a better team, I mean, Atlanta is like, even when they were getting killed, they made a comeback. Like this team is not like anything to mess with right now. And they already beat you on your home court once. Now you got to go to their home court twice. I don't know what that environment's going to be like, but I don't know. Watching the Sixers the last couple of years, they don't play that great in Atlanta, to be honest. And yeah, I mean, there's there's just no time to sit here and save energy. Like Ben Simmons prepares to play 40 minutes a night. Tobias Harris is a guy who, I mean, he'll he doesn't really miss that many games, and he do, he won't take that much time off. So it doesn't matter about the next round. You have to focus on this round and you can't rely on your bench guys right now. These are guys that Simmons and, and Harris, they should be playing minutes where Embiid should be getting a little more rest because the guy's playing on a torn meniscus. So speaking of torn meniscuses, we have to look at the Atlanta side. DeAndre Hunter was questionable for the first two games and he – I mean, it wasn't even reported that he was dealing with a torn meniscus. He just had, what was it, knee soreness? Yeah, I think that's what they were labeling. Because I think in the beginning, they ended up saying he was having, like, swelling problems before mm-hmm. game one, and that's why he he didn't end up going. Yeah, and I remember he, he warmed up both games, and then they ruled him out. But yesterday, out of nowhere, turns out he has a torn meniscus, and he's actually not going to play for the rest of the series. He's going to actually – undergo surgery so do you think that that makes is that does that impact the Sixers positively obviously it has to right yeah I mean the DeAndre Hunter it's a solid young player it's long you know three and D guy who's been very solid for them he you know he would have given them another option of a guy you could have thrown on Ben Simmons instance when he was on the floor another floor spacer, even though they have already a plethora of guys who can knock down open shots, but it definitely hurts their starting lineup. Now they'll likely have to stick with Solomon Hill, who, you know, no discredit to him is a bit of a downgrade from DeAndre Hunter. So yeah, I think this does, you know, impact the series and does favor the Sixers moving forward. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what Atlanta says about that because um, before all of that was announced, before he was out, they thought that they were getting him back. And they kept saying, like Trey Young said it, Nate McMillan said it, that, you know, that's our best perimeter defender. And, you know, without them, they're, you know, they're missing something big on defense. So 
the fact that he's not going to come back at all is interesting. Now, I don't think that while it does, it has a positive impact on the Sixers, obviously they still have their hands full. Like Atlanta, Atlanta's a good team. I, I think I, uh, I look down on them a little bit going into the series, but I think that they've looked pretty good, you know, through these two games so far. Yeah, I mean, listen, they have almost endless firepower. Even before the season started, I, you know, kind of had them as a sneaky team that could make some noise just because of how many just playable guys they had. You know, I mean, you had nice veterans like like Gallinari who have been around. They started the year with Rondo. They turned Rondo into Lou Williams. I mean, they have a bunch of shot makers, and all of their guards can put the ball on the floor and do something with Trey Young, Bogdanovich, Lou Will, and Herter. So, I mean – it's definitely going to be a tough series. They're, they clearly want to play hard. They want this. They're like that that young, spunky team. So I agree. I mean, I think a lot of people were overlooking them going into this series, just saying, oh, it's the Atlanta Hawks. Oh, this, oh, that. You know, like Trey Young is a guy that can go and get 35 and 10 on just about any given night on any team. So it's definitely going to be, you know, a grinded out series moving forward. I said Sixers and seven in the beginning, and I think that that's still the prediction I'm sticking with heading into game three. Okay, Sixers and seven. All right, I like that. Um, so Trey, you know, we talk about Trey Young and uh, Danny Green played on him pretty much exclusively through the uh, first game until they started trapping him in the second half. In the second game, I was shocked. Uh, Doc Rivers started with Ben Simmons on him and pretty much kept him there. Um, obviously, we didn't expect that. We thought that Danny Green would still play on him until he starts struggling. And then, you know, you throw Simmons in there. But Ben Simmons played on Trey Young. He didn't get into foul trouble. Uh, he played really well. Uh, and then the next night after Ben Simmons plays the way he played on Trey Young, defensive player of the year comes out, and it's Rudy Gobert. Terrible. Just <laughs> – Terrible. The Sixers might be one of the most disrespected one seeds in history. To go from the sixth seed last season to the one seed this season, and Doc Rivers finishes fourth in coach of the year, which I think is respectful. I thought all the candidates who were in the the finalists and Thibodeau winning were all deserving, but for sure, Joel Embiid falls just short of MVP. Ben Simmons falls just short of Defensive Player of the Year. Like we were talking about it uh, before game two. And I was like, if they hand Rudy Gobert defensive player of the year, the two all-star centers who were in the MVP award uh, conversation threw him around like a rag doll when they matched up. So how great is this defensive center when the elite centers just point and laugh at him and attack him when they get to, when they get to go up against them. I mean, I think Jokic dropped his career high on Rudy Gobert this season and then Embiid had near 40, or he might have even think, broke 40. Yeah, I think he had 40. I'm not sure. In that overtime game. So I, I don't I don't get it. I mean, with the focus of perimeter play now and the game being extended out behind the three-point line, the Defensive Player of the Year award needs to shift to the best perimeter defender. And in that situation, it's Ben Simmons. He guards all five positions, can lock up all five positions, whether it's – I mean, we've seen him – in the postseason, slide in at center and defend centers, and now he's guarding six foot one Trey Young and just living in his jersey and pretty much making him a non-factor in a playoff game. I mean, what more needs to be said? I, I don't get it. I also like how 
back. I don't remember when it was. I forget the month, but Ben Simmons was asked about it. Cause remember there was that, there was that time when everyone kept asking, do you think you're the defensive player of the year? And he, he brought up, he brought up Rudy Gobert and basically was like, you know, everyone says I'm not a scorer. I had 42 with him guarding me. Cause they did. I don't, he didn't guard him the whole game, but at the beginning of that game, cause there was no Joel. They're like, all yeah. right, they're going to put Rudy on Ben Simmons and Ben Simmons destroyed Utah in that game. I mean, that I, I couldn't believe that first quarter that he had in that Utah game was like, man, is like, is Ben Simmons turning a corner? Obviously he doesn't do that every game, but that was a game that had me thinking like, man, if he's going to play like this moving forward, like whew, he might, he might jump in the MVP conversation. <laughs> he's going to play like that. Well, Hey, he did um, get a vote. He got, I think he got, did he one get a fourth, vote? I didn't, I didn't even, he really got one fourth place results. vote. <laughs> that's actually hilarious. I went, who did that? That's, that's hilarious. But um, aside from, Obviously, I, I told you before, I thought Gobert was going to win it. Um, obviously, I prefer the guy who's more versatile um, in that award. But I'm also not blind to the fact that it was going, it was trending towards Gobert. So I, I was very confident that Simmons wasn't going to win that. But, I mean, it's not all negative. You look at the voting results. It's pretty cool to see the Sixers, they have... Ben Simmons is the runner-up. Joel Embiid is on there because he got some votes. And then Matisse Thibel, who how, – how many minutes did he average this year? Like 20? Uh, like just under 20. Yeah. Like, so he got – it was only a third-place vote. It was one third-place vote. But, I mean, still, come on. Like, everyone else, I was looking at it. I think there was one person who had the, the least amount of minutes ahead of Thibel was like 27 or something. So, like, you play such limited minutes but still get a vote for Defensive Player of the Year just goes to show that, like, this this kid is legit. So, it's not all complaints for the Sixers. Like, they should be happy. Like, we have three of some of the best defenders in the NBA. Yeah, but, I mean, we also – they still should have had the winner. I mean, to be perfectly honest, like I said – what the whole saying is winning cures everything. I mean, I thought once this team is this team ascended to the one seed with Brooklyn, you know, stacking up their roster, getting James Harden. Milwaukee did the same, still a very good team. The Sixers bested them both in the regular season. No awards or accolades to show for it. I mean, it's just it drives me insane. I mean, it's hopefully they use this as motivation, but I. I all I felt the whole time that Ben Simmons had a better chance of winning Defensive Player of the Year than Embiid did MVP, but I'm not gonna lie that that update stung a little bit when I got it. That's bulletin board material. What are you gonna do? <laughs> I always I always thought like maybe maybe if Ben Simmons misses the All Star game, he will completely turn a corner and change because he can't he can't just say well I'm an All Star blah 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 because like I mean obviously he's an excellent player he deserves to be an All Star, but there's nothing wrong with a little bit of bulletin board material, in my opinion. Obviously, when Joel and B gets ticked off, you see a different side of him. Ben Simmons, I think, is a lot more. He's better at hiding his his emotions and feelings when it comes to stuff like that. But like we talk about it on here all the time, petty guy. He's a petty guy. Mm-hmm. He will come out there and start dominating if he feels slighted. I don't know how he's feeling. We didn't talk to him yet. 
hopefully today, I doubt it. Hopefully today we, we get some sort of reaction out of him, but come on, we, we know where this is going. This is bulletin board material. Let the Sixers feel disrespected. Tobias Harris felt disrespected when he wasn't an all-star. Joel Embiid now feels disrespected. He's not the MVP. Simmons is likely going to feel disrespected. He's not defensive player of the year. Use it as motivation. You got a big game in Atlanta on Friday. Go in there. Ben Simmons locked Trey Young down. Joel Embiid, destroy everything in your path. Tobias Harris, play the way really you played in game two and Go out there, win some games, get to Brooklyn, and then uh, we'll see how it goes from there. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if bulletin board material is going to work yeah. against the Brooklyn Nets. That team is really good. Uh, James Scary Harden good. is – yeah, James Harden's injured right now. Doesn't even matter. Who knows? I mean, Jesus, Kevin Durant really shocked me. Like, I thought Kevin Durant – like, obviously he was still going to be great, but you get an Achilles injury and you're, you know, 30 years old – you know that that tends to to catch up with players. I don't I don't think that's come close to catching up with Kevin Durant. That team is good. Yeah, it's just he's putting up video game numbers. I think I saw something on Twitter. Apparently, they're shooting 50, 40, 90 splits as a team. Unreal. That is terrifying. Yeah, the that, rejuvenance yeah. of Blake Griffin. Blake Griffin dunking <laughs> on you, Giannis. Like, what is going on there? They turned Bruce Brown into a center, and now he's, like, putting up 16 and 10 in games. It's, it's crazy. I mean, I will say that their supporting cast has definitely, I think, outplayed their potential so far. I don't know how much that can hold, but Katie and Kyrie have just been, I mean, phenomenal. Everyone – Do you think Milwaukee gets swept? <sighs> Maybe. To be honest, after seeing that forty-point blowout, like that is rough. Granted, I'll have to wait and see a game in Milwaukee before True. that. Yeah. But I mean, when these guys can't miss, what are they supposed to do? I mean, they even tried attacking Kevin Durant on defense, putting Brooke Lopez in the post, and KD was just snuffing his shots. He blocked one shot that hit Brooke Brooke Lopez back in the face. Like they are literally just clowning this team after this series was supposed to be, like, this must-watch television of these <laughs> Eastern Conference juggernauts. Yeah, it was like and, Milwaukee and Brooklyn's going to wear each other down. Yeah, and I'm is Brooklyn even breaking a sweat? Kevin Durant dropped 32 points and missed six shots. Like, it's Unreal. just – it's crazy. I mean, that – if the if the Sixers do end up seeing them, that is going to be a very grueling series. The funny thing is – a lot of people throughout game one and game two are all saying same old Milwaukee Bucks. Yeah. I don't know, man. Like, <laughs> is it the same old Milwaukee Bucks or is Brooklyn just that good? I think it's a mix of both. I've said from the beginning that I really think the key to Milwaukee taking that next step is playing Giannis extended minutes. At, Jeez, at the, you are right yeah. over there. <laughs> <laughs> My voice broke. Giannis. Yeah. <laughs> I feel I'm, I'm this scared for the Bucks. It's, it's showing up in my voice. <laughs> but playing Giannis at the five, I think, is like just the key to them. I don't, Brooke Lopez isn't giving them any benefit of them staying big. So why not just go small? You have PJ Tucker now. You can still throw out a nice five defensively. And I mean, Brooklyn plays rather small too. So I mean, at this point, you got to try and fight fire with fire. But 
we know Coach Bud and adjustments in the playoffs isn't really his forte, so who knows? Yeah, hot seat, hot seat. But anyway, um, so let let's get let's get back to the Sixers. Let's predict Game Three. Like I said before, they hit the road to Atlanta for the next two games. This is the first time in the series they're playing away. Game Three. What do you think happens for the Sixers and the Hawks? I think the Sixers win again. I don't think it's going to be a you know like incredible spectacular win. I think it's going to be an ugly grinded out one, but. I do think they go into Atlanta and they take the first game. Interesting. I'm I'm going to go opposite. We we can't we can't always agree here. I gotta I gotta <laughs> I gotta mix this up. Um, I'm going to go opposite. I think I think they're going to struggle in Atlanta for the first game. Um, I, that's not to say that I don't think that the Sixers won't win on the road. I think that they can get game uh, four, but game three, I think that they'll be shocked a little bit. Um, It'll be a close one. Like it'll be an ugly game. I agree with that. It'll definitely be uh they'll be grinding it out. I think Trey Young might get a little more calls this time around. It's just the home court cooking. It's how it works. And uh yeah, I, I mean it, it all comes down to really how that bench does because that that bench is still bad. Like as much as I have faith in Shake Milton bouncing back, he was hitting some shots that like I mean, that buzzer beater, like, come on. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you just, I don't know. I, I don't see, I don't see Shake Milton coming in and being savior in, in this game. I think that bench needs to come together as a whole. I'm not confident they can do that. They've shown nothing to, to make me believe that they can really, you know, help out this, this starting lineup. And I don't want to criticize them too much, but Ben Simmons, little more scoring a little more scoring oh my god <laughs> just a little bit i'm not i'm not saying this guy needs to come out here and, and hit 20 points we literally just went through you said it yourself Tobias Harris was a hot hander early and then Joel Embiid was just transcendently dominant the rest of the way where does Ben Simmons fall not to mention Seth Curry has just been shooting oh, yeah. the lights out game 2 was like a masterclass of shooting hit the shots sure. were barely even moving the net. So with all of those guys as hot as they are, it, like as much as I thought it was insane that Ben Simmons was trending after the game for the reasons that he was, I'm not shocked at all. But what is he supposed to do? Do people really want him taken away from Joel Embiid when he's dominating the way he is? Or Tobias Harris early on? Or Seth Curry with the way he can open up the floor for them? Like, I don't get it. I understand there's games where Ben will need to be more aggressive, but if you sat and watched game three and that was one of your takeaways, like I, or game two, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I don't get it. Like I'll live with it that, in those, in that situation with the way the game was going, I'm cool with Ben Simmons focusing more on the facilitating than the scoring. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like he didn't have a bad game again. Like he doesn't need to score all these points to have a good game. However, I do think that offensively would be nice to see him kind of like, score a little bit like find ways to score i don't think i don't think they absolutely need that to win games clearly obviously he didn't do that in in game two but i don't i don't think i want to see even though tobias harris was cooking trying to do too much like and we all know what happens when tobias harris tries to do too much and i even said that at halftime i bet doc rivers is going to say like cool it 
with all the dribbling because <laughs> like you're a catch, you're a catch and shoot like don't need to do all, all that dribbling but again the old like the x factor for the sixers is the bench george hill needs to give them something shake milton needs to be consistent with with this play uh i don't really think matisse gives you much offensively if Ferk is going to play hit the rim at least with your shots <laughs> like hit the rim Ferk. my god i can't believe like doc kept him on the floor a lot longer than i thought he would when he came in early and then when he came off the floor i was thinking that's probably the last we've seen of Ferk for at least tonight and then he brought him back out so it's like if Ferk is on the floor you're not you don't use him for his defense you don't really use him for anything else other than shooting three pointers. Ferk needs to hit his three pointers. If he doesn't, then he needs to be off the floor. So if we're going to do the whole bench tryout again in game three, then, you know, guys need to step up. And I'm not sure if they can do that on the road. Obviously, I have to see it. I don't think the Sixers come away game three with the victory. I think that they learn about themselves in game three. And then they take adjustments and apply it to game four. And then they come back to Philly with the series, even at two and two. And if you have anything else to add on game three, I'd love to hear it. (laughs) I would, I guess the last thing I would just have to say is hopefully that with the way doc adjusted from game one to game two, in terms of the all bench lineup again, with, I don't know what's going on. right. Are you scared (laughs) for game three? (laughs) Never. I said they were going to win, <laughs> but I think that we see a smaller rotation from game two to game three. Like, I think he's slowly starting to realize with the second unit that it kind of is what it is and that it's time to shape up and start forming a legit playoff rotation because playing 11 guys, is just, it's not the answer. I mean, no contending teams really do it. I don't know why he's still doing it. And hopefully in game three, we start to see him finally start to stray away from it. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Because, like, if if anything, it's, it's fun to cover Doc Rivers, that's for sure. Because you literally have no idea what you're going to get. And I don't know. I mean, it, it can go really any other way. Like I said, like I say, after every single game, he is given zero indication that he's moving away from that all bench lineup. Yeah. And... We'll see. We'll see. And when, whenever we get the result of what happens, game three, we'll be back here talking about it. Kev, drop your Twitter handle so you can follow this guy for the live updates. Go ahead. <laughs> it's at KevinMCCNBA. <laughs> if you're not following him by now, what the hell are you doing? Mine's <laughs> at Grasso underscore. Again, do not forget the underscore. And um, thanks for tuning in, and we'll talk to you after game three. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.